You're listening to Talk Talk, where we are talking about the theory of knowledge. A student recently wrote me an email and uh, asked me t- uh, about the similarities and differences between relativism and constructivism. I already started to write an email to answer this question when I reconsidered and I decided to take this opportunity to make another podcast episode out of it. Now, before I start off, I just want to say that we have to be a bit careful here that we do not get too theoretical about this issue. And if a, quote, real expert on this topic discovers some inaccuracies in my explanation, well, I kindly request uh, some some forgiveness. I've not studied this particular aspect in much detail myself. But in any case, relativism and constructivism These are two highly related philosophical concepts. They're both kind of broad, and there are several different aspects to each one of them. Now, I can certainly not cover all of these aspects in a few minutes, so we have to stay elementary here. Now, the concept of truth relativism is a view that absolute truths do not exist, and that truth, whatever this may be, depends on something else, on some kind of a context. To give you an example, you probably have already heard of the expression beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Now, this statement assumes that absolute beauty does not exist. What is beautiful or ugly depends on the beholder, and that's the person viewing it. Likewise, relativists would say that absolute truths do not exist as well, but the truth depends on culture, experience, and other external factors, the so-called frame of reference. Absolute ethical values, in their view, do not exist, or maybe cannot even exist. Now, scientists, of course, assume that objective reality does exist, and they try to discover this objective reality. Scientific knowledge, after all, should be independent of anyone's culture, experience, background, opinion, beliefs, religion, and so on. Now, constructivism is a related term, and it is also used in a range of different ways. And to make the issue more exciting, it is even possible to subdivide constructivism into radical constructivism and moderate constructivism. A radical constructivist would say that an objective reality, an objective outside world, does not exist. It is a product of one's mind. So if you're listening to this audio file or if you're reading a text on the screen, then this may all be a fabrication of your brain. The computer screen in front of you does not exist. Your brain makes you think that you're looking at a screen. You're just hallucinating. Essentially, it's an extreme form of relativism. The things that you perceive as reality actually depend on your brain. Moderate constructivism is, in my personal view, a bit more useful. It's commonly used in connection with education and learning theory. Essentially, moderate constructivism states that each person has to construct knowledge individually. In their view, a teacher is not able to teach a student anything at all. The teacher is only able to support or to help a student to build up his or her own knowledge. A teacher, in that sense, is an assistant to the student who is building up his or her own knowledge. 
Now, where is the link to relativism? Moderate constructivists assume that each person's view of reality, that could be of science, of math, arts, history, and so on, that each person's view of reality is constructed in the person's brain. The view of reality depends, therefore, on the individual person. Moderate constructivism, therefore, is a form of relativism, but it's not a very extreme one. Moderate constructivists may not deny that an outside reality exists, but they do say that individual people perceive and interpret reality differently. Now, I want to conclude this uh, with two examples. Um, I'm not only teaching theory of knowledge, but also biology. Every year, we are doing a little drawing activity using microscope, and I ask my students to draw the onion cells that they see in the microscope. All of the students are seeing the same cells. But when I collect the drawings at the end of the class, I receive all forms of different cell shapes. The students are all looking at the same cells, but they are interpreting reality differently. Some students consider the cells to be very small, and they will draw 250 small cells on a sheet of paper. Other, others think that the cells have a very regular shape, and they will give me drawings where the cells look like the bricks in a wall. And still others will place a very strong emphasis on the dirt and the dust that they see in the microscope, but consider the cells less important. Well, I get all sorts of different drawings. Not two of them are the same. Each student has constructed his or her own view on how onion cells look like. And now a final last example. Imagine two young boys fighting on the schoolyard, rolling over on the ground, yelling at, yelling at each other. Well, you know how kids are. Then imagine a few bystanders. Some of them will say, what a horrible fight. We have to separate them. They're going to hurt each other. And then imagine other bystanders seeing the very same fight. And they're saying, are they having a great time? I wish I were young again to be able to do the same thing. Each bystander has constructed his or her own view of the situation. The severity of the fight is relative and is in the eye of the beholder. You can listen to more episodes at www.toktalk.net. That's www.toktalk.net. My name is Oliver Kim and I wish you a nice day.